today we're going to talk about a lot of things food related and sovereignty related and um you know parallel systems related things that i think are of the utmost importance to all of us whether we understand it or not and um we have the return of my brother chad johnson chad is the heart and soul of our food forest at the farm in lockhart he's a regenerative expert he is a Sepp Holzer understudy, and Sepp Holzer's work is something we dive deeply into, uh, not just on this podcast, but what we're really going to dive deeply into in our three days together. We're meeting March 31st through April 2nd at the farm. I will have the link for the Eventbrite in the show notes, so just click it there if you guys want to come out for that event. We're going to deep dive a lot of the things that we're talking about here today on this podcast, and um, Chad's got some incredibly good ideas on how to really create aptitude within this field and specialization. So if there's something that you are really drawn towards a certain aspect in a particular style of farming or food management or food sovereignty, then you can specialize within the field and become really good at it. That might be you love working with an excavator and you're phenomenal at earthworks, at digging ponds. Um, It could be a number of different things, but anywho, uh, that's all side notes. As I was thinking of Sepp Holzer, you know, really He's on the Mount Rushmore, and the reason he's on the Mount Rushmore for this type of farming is because of the fact that he proved he could do it anywhere. He was a guy who dug ponds, natural ponds, in the Saharan desert and created little oasises there where he could grow damn near any food in the desert where you couldn't hold water. By restoring hydrological balance, he created the oasis. And at his farm in Austria, he's at 6,000 feet elevation, he's growing lemon trees outside. He's not using a greenhouse. He's doing bananas outside. He's doing a whole host of things that you think are absolutely impossible because he's able to create microclimates. And this is big because, you know, it doesn't mean I can grow whatever I want, wherever I want, but it does allow for a greater degree of variety once I've cured the land and helped optimize different pockets of it to have different features. Some might be a little bit more subtropical. Some might be a little bit more desert-like. And figuring out how to work with that is everything Chad's teaching. So I am super pumped to have Chad on this podcast today. And I'm also really pumped to have you guys out and see what we're doing at our farm in Lockhart. Again, March 31st through April 2nd. Check out the Eventbrite in the show notes. We'll have information there and links to books and all sorts of other good stuff for you as usual, all in the show notes. There are many ways you can support this podcast. First and foremost, leave us a five-star rating or share it with a friend. If you know somebody that's into regenerative agriculture or permaculture or <laughs> can smell some of the fuckery going on within... Uh, the government, and you think this might be pertinent information for them, uh, definitely share with them. And that's an easy way, just word of mouth. Somebody checks it out and they're like, hey, I really like that, man. I'm going to keep listening. That's how we gain more followers. The other way is to leave us a five-star rating with one or two ways that the show just helped you out in life. Uh, simple as that. Could be a book that I recommended or a guest that I had on, whatever the thing that created the most change in your life uh, from listening to this. And it's not saying that all life change happens from the Kyle Kingsbury podcast, but hopefully from listening to the show, one or two things have really changed the way you, you think, the way you feel, and the way you operate within the world. And if that's the case, leave us a five-star rating and tell us why. That really helps get it out there. Last but not least, support our show sponsors. These guys make the show fiscally possible, and I absolutely love them. I've either handpicked them or uh, two members within my team will research and throw me stuff. I, I Even though they're dialed in, most often say no. So the ones that I'm saying yes to are ones that I really believe in and I really find valuable. Um, First today is hvmn.com slash KKP. HVMN is the world's greatest ketone product on earth, period, period, period. These guys are the best. I had Michael Brandt on the podcast back on episode 254. That was uh, May of last year. I'm going to get Jeff Wu. Their other co-founder is going to come on 
uh, next month to really deep dive into the science and what these guys are creating. These aren't just um, businessmen. These are businessmen and entrepreneurs who happen to graduate with honors from Stanford and be totally geeked out on human performance, as well as business performance, as well as anything that can effectively create change within our own lives, the micro and the macro. And I really love that about Jeff. I love that about Michael. I love that what they're doing with this company is much greater than just creating a great product. And at the end of the day, the product works better than any other ketone product on the planet. If you've never been in a state of ketosis, it's kind of hard to describe, but imagine being calm and alert. Imagine having increased awareness and a greater degree of heart rate variability, where you are truly in a meditative state and you have more energy. You have more mental, emotional energy, um, longer stamina to get through the shit in a long day. Definitely more endurance, whether you're just grinding through a long day at the office or you're actually running a marathon, ketones help with all these things. They also help aid in recovery. It's a clean fuel. So if I'm lifting glycolytically, I need carbohydrates for that. Yes, ketones can also help me on the back end with my recovery period by creating more ATP in a smoother way, less reactive oxygen species and a cleaner fuel for my body to get back to normal and back to square one. Uh, they also help with sleep mitigation. I'm not telling people to go without sleep. I think it's one of the four doctors for a reason, Dr. Quiet. Very important that we get enough sleep. But if you know you're not going to be sleeping well because you're traveling, Ketone IQ from HVMN is a must-have. It is an absolute must-have. Dominic D'Agostino has dived into some of the science around this. Uh, you'll have to backtrack, punch into his name and mine. We talk about that on our podcast together years ago. This was known about the ketogenic diet. Uh, but look, it can t- it's not a diet that should be maintained forever, in my opinion. And if, even if I'm doing it a few weeks a year for three or four times a year, and I want to optimize that feeling of being ketosis, I need to have ketones on deck. Intermittent fasting can help me, but really using a product like HVMN's Ketone IQ is going to give me the best chance at combining all of the wins that I have. I want increased endurance. I want increased mental, emotional energy. I want to, to be able to grind whether I'm in the gym or not. And I know I can do that with HVMN's Ketone IQ. It is phenomenal. It is much more affordable than it used to be. I'm on subscription now. Just like y'all use my 20% off coupon KKP at checkout, 20% off everything there. Apply it to your subscription and you will thank me. I promise you of all supplements on the planet, this is one that you must try. And when you do, you're likely going to add it to your arsenal. It's that good. That is hvmn.com slash KKP. Use promo code KKP at checkout. Next, we have our homies at Masterworks. Masterworks lets you invest in fine art worth millions from legends like Picasso and Banksy. They break paintings into shares so you can invest and diversify your portfolio with art without needing millions of dollars. There's over 600,000 users, over $650 million invested. These are SEC qualified offerings. You can find their filings at sec.gov. Masterworks has 11 sales to date, nine of them this year alone. Two most recent paintings sold in December for 10 and 35% net return. That brings their last three sales to 10, 35, and 13% net returns to investors. And we can go through a track record here. This is one of the things that I absolutely love about this is you can get in right into the details of who you want to invest in and what their profit margins have looked like, how, how long uh, are people holding, and what does it look like on an annualized net return. All this stuff's here. Why is it important to invest in art? Why is it important to invest in art when inflation rates have never been this high? And potentially, we're going to see the death of the dollar sometime in the next 10, 15 years, right? If you follow Armstrong Economics, which I highly recommend, you can see these things. But every time we've looked through history where there's been great wealth change or uh, what some would call the end of nations, at least the end of currency and the refunneling of that, when great change takes place, there are certain things that stand the test of time. We know that metals do. 
And we also know that artwork does. The difference between the two is that art is the only thing that has the ability to really give you an ROI in a very short period of time. Um, metals do not. They hold value over time. They're a cushion against inflation, but they're not an investment per se. They're, they're a, a safe space to put your money in when you know that your, your money's likely going to go out the door soon. Uh, just saying, if you follow Armstrong Economics, that date from their computer, which has never been wrong through what he calls Socrates, their AI, says 2031 and a half is the peak of the dollar. And that's when it peaks. And then after that, it, it does not peak anymore. It's the, that's the end of it being the world currency. So we've got time. Again, no doomsday shit. We have time to redistribute our wealth. We have time to look for ways that are new and novel to invest. And I absolutely love this. I've always loved fine art. Never had a fucking dollar to, to put to it because I'm not trying to save up my entire life savings just to get one painting and hope that it does well. What, what Masterworks have effectively done is they've made it accessible to the everyman. And I absolutely love that. You can still benefit from a lot of these different artists, some old, some new, some current, some long deceased that have some amazing pieces and you get to put your money where you like it. And when you watch that sell, you can get a lot of money back very quickly and continue to roll that in to new art. Masterworks specializes in multi-million dollar art, which is largely unaffected by the volatility of the stock market. The way it works is you invest with other people into these paintings, which have solid histories of selling at auction. In fact, Masterworks has a track record of 11 paintings sold so far, with three of the most recent returning 10, 13, and 35% net returns, 35%. And if you go to masterworks.art slash Kyle right now, you can skip their wait list right now. Like I said, if you're sick of investing, feeling like a roller coaster, invest alongside me at Masterworks. They have over $650 million invested from over 600,000 users, and paintings have sold out so fast that they have implemented a wait list. But you can skip it at masterworks.art slash Kyle. That's M-A-S-T-E-R-W-O-R-K-S dot A-R-T slash K-Y-L-E. We're also brought to you by my homies at lucy.co, L-U-C-Y dot C-O. Use promo code KKP at checkout for 20% off everything they have. The government is banning vapes. The government is reducing the amount of nicotine in cigarettes. There's never been a better time to give Lucy a try. Coming in great flavors, multiple strengths, is the only nicotine pouch with a capsule inside that keeps it fresh. Look, we're all adults here, and I know some of us choose to use nicotine to relax, focus, or just unwind after a long day. Lucy is a modern oral nicotine company that makes nicotine gum, lozenges, and pouches for adults who are looking for the best, most responsible way to consume their nicotine. It's a new year. Why not start it out by switching to a new nicotine product that you can feel good about? Check it out. Lucy.co, L-U-C-Y dot C-O, and promo code KKP, 20% off. Why nicotine? Why are we talking about nicotine on a health show? Nicotine, it is in of itself the single greatest nootropic known to man. And whether you've been hitting the head a lot like I was or not, nootropics help us to gather our resources, our mental uh, faculties, our ability to recall information, to learn, to hold that information all takes place when we have acetylcholine in the brain. Nicotine fits in the exact same receptor sites as neacetylcholine does. In addition to that, nicotine has some feel good in it, right? This is why it is addictive. And I have to say the warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. The reasons it's addictive is because it feels good. And the dopamine response that happens alongside of nicotine fitting into acetylcholine re receptors is that we can retain information better. We learn it, we gravitate towards it because it's something that sticks. It feels good when we learn. As Huberman says, teach a kid something. If they're not having fun, they might be able to regurgitate it, but a year later, they won't remember. If they have, a, if they have fun with it, dopamine actually is one of the things that allows us to retain. So whether you're studying for exams uh, in college, of course, or if you have uh, something you need to break down for a podcast, some new 
maybe it's a whole new field like I have right now with regenerative agriculture and biodynamic farming. Nicotine is going to be your friend. It's going to allow you to get in there, to draw out this information, and to hold on to it when it matters. Check it all out. Lucy.co, promo code KKP at checkout for 20% off. Last but not least, we have one of my favorite new sponsors. Othership is your new mindfulness routine. With over 500 custom-guided breathwork sessions, the Othership Breathwork app lets you access an on-demand library of sessions to help you regulate your nervous system state. Othership sessions are science-backed and music-driven, so whether you have time to practice for one minute or 60, you will feel the emotional shift when you need it most. Breathe to the rhythm of powerful music with guidance from world-renowned breathwork facilitators to elevate your body and mind. Decompress after work, energize to start your day, improve focus and performance, wind down for a deep sleep, or release negative emotions with short exercises when you need them most. Our sessions are active rather than passive, so you're able to focus on your breath rather than drift back into a stressful and distracting thoughts. With breathwork, unlike meditation, you experience a visceral physiological shift right away. Rooted in ancient tradition, informed by modern science, and inspired by magic, Othership's meticulously curated guided breathwork practices are simultaneously playful, safe, and effective. They combine breathing techniques and guided meditations created by psychotherapists, wellness practitioners, hypnotherapists, artists and DJs, spiritual teachers, and life coaches. We're here to help keep you lifted through all of life's experiences. Othership has three main categories on the app. Up, get a little quick pick-me-up. Down, it's going to help you unwind and all around finding a nice, easy balance, deeply transformative, and for longer breathwork journey. They're hosting a 31-day guided cold plunge challenge and a number of other things that these guys are doing from their physical location, but check it out. HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash O-T-H-E-R-S-H-I-P dot U-S slash K-K-P. Use this link for one month free on the Othership app and check out everything they're doing within the Othership app, physical and their community. Thank you guys. Uh, these guys are phenomenal. Thank you, Othership, and thank you to all my sponsors for today. Without further ado, my brother, Chad Johnson. Chad Johnson, welcome back to the podcast, brother. Thanks. Kyle Kingsbury? <laughs> it's, uh, it's funny. Probably half these podcasts, I don't ever mention the name until the, until the intro, but I absolutely love your name. It's something that, that is, it's got, a, it's got a ring to it, Chad Johnson. It's also like fairly, you know, like... Paul Bunyan, like there's like a, an old timey <laughs> American to it, you know, Chad Johnson. Um, we've built such an amazing relationship in a very quick period of time. And I, uh, you know, my, my thoughts on that are 100% directed by source. And I just appreciate the fuck out of that. These intros that I get little God nods. Anytime I get to meet a person such as yourself with, with not only your level of expertise, but your level of tapped inness. And uh, I know we covered a lot on our first podcast. Today, really wanted to bring you back on to talk about the education that we're going to be running here and um, how do we tap in? You know, that's another thing, you know, learning, learning these things. But uh, I want to recover some of your backstory because I think it's important. And, you know, there's many paths up the mountain. I obviously talk a lot about the plant medicine path and that's not for everybody. And then there's, there's some things that just occur where it's almost unavoidable with your car accident and uh, the unlocking that took place there and living in the redwoods and, and uh, just awesome. So I want to retrace some of the steps. Um, talk about, you know, some of the different pivotal moments in your life that really started to open you up and get you to see behind, behind the lines and outside of the matrix, if you will. 
Yeah. And I think as children, we all have this natural connection with nature and we go through life finding our way. And what's interesting in these times is there's a lot of people all at once around the world reassessing how they want to live their lives. And it seems to bring them back to the land. But with the technologies we have now and the backstory of what's happened and the technologies that have come in, we can now reimagine and learn from what we've seen. We're outside. It's a little bit windy, but keep going, brother. Yeah. Um, we're at a really interesting time in history. Uh, and what you guys have accomplished here in less than a year is just proof of what's possible. And you're using things like the technology of just a light electrical fence that can be moved. Uh, biodynamics, like a seed planted 100 years ago. The animals, the water, you're kind of bringing all this together and it's not your normal model. But what you do is when you create it, you can see the results of it. So for me, getting my hands back in the earth was a spiritual experience like I was tripping in the redwoods. And that was the beginning. Uh, that's never left. And moving forward, I started creating with a shovel, terraces, dug my first pond, I had animals going, I was doing annual perennial. And then I opened up Sepulcher's book and it was like an epiphany for me because I saw everything I was already doing and he just advanced it quickly with 50 years of work. No one knew he was up there for a long time, especially in the U.S., that this guy had gone against all the norms and was working directly with nature. So you're not looking at one recipe, one model, and he created a thriving, productive ecosystem. So a lot of people will say, well, you begin by planting your trees. Well, you begin by marrying yourself with land because you want it to fit your, you know, who is involved, what you can do, what are your strengths, and then you pair that, you marry it with the land. And so you look at the advantages and challenges of the land. And from there, you can kind of bring those together. It's pretty effortless when you start to see what you have to read in yourself and the landscape. And also redefining what is a farm or a ranch or how you're going to go about it. Because you can bring in diversified incomes too. So you're looking at the animals, but in your case, you guys have a network of people where I see it as a Mecca, where people can come in and learn. And also just your story of coming in less than a year and creating what you've already created is just a testament to what's possible. You can come into it. It's almost better sometimes to come into it without the preconceptions. Without, we've already got these fields going, we've got all the loans on the equipment that you might not even need. And it's harder to backtrack and say, well, we could have started with the land and done all this stuff, but we're already on this path. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of that, that's such a big, that's a big one. I mean, I know this from shooting, you know, I, a lot of the gun courses that I've been to with my buddy, Tim Kennedy and, and all the SF guys that he works with at Sheepdog. The common thread is that women are often, often better students than men. And the reason for that is guys have, I've been shooting my whole life or whatever their fucking story is. And their approach can be less student-like. So the beginner who's never shot before, that's eager to learn and understands they don't know what the fuck they're doing. They're so much easier to teach. 
And it's funny, I've never applied that to farming, but obviously it's the case here, you know, every, every person on the farm, other than my wife, did not grow up farming. Every single one of us. It's like our first, first rodeo. And, uh, but at the same time, all of us have a deep desire to, to learn this stuff and to embody it, to make it not just, you know, etheric knowledge, but actual, you know, wisdom grounded in the soil itself. And we've had the, those desires for a while. And obviously there's been a number of circumstances, which I'm sure we'll even touch on. We can touch on it in this podcast around world events that have led us to really light a fire under our ass and say, now is the time to do it. It's not 10 years from now. It's not 20 years from now. It's right now. But the, the student's approach, super important. And, and yeah, to your point, um, it's pretty remarkable to see, you know, everything that, that's gone on here. And speaking of that, it's not like a, the tip of my hat to myself or any of that. It's, it's a tip of the hat that we have access. And one of our goals through education here is to grant that access to the, to the same people, right? Like, I want you to learn. I want you to learn from Tim Kennedy. Like, go, go to fucking Sheepdog. I want you to learn from Chad Johnson. I want you to learn from Daniel Griffith. I want you to learn from the people that we've learned so much so quickly from and, and have that information distilled in a way where you leave after a weekend and you've got a fucking plan. You know what to do. You know how to execute it. And you've had that plan verified and double-checked by your peers and by the instructors that we hold so highly. And, uh, and I'm stoked for it. And obviously, you know, in literally less than a year, because we started in March, in less than a year, you can see what we've done here. It's pretty pretty remarkable. When we have people out, it's going to be uh, March 31st through April 2nd. So three-day weekend, well, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And it'll be, you know, 13 months at that point, you know, where you can see like literally going to tour the land. You're like, this is what we did in 13 months, you know, and there were some pros to, obviously we, we went with the land. So we'll talk a little bit about that. What did the land offer us and how you work with that? That's going to change from person to person, from place to place. It's going to change based on what your goals are. It's going to change based on where, where your desire is, you know, like if I have no desire for animals and I'm vegan, I'm not going to bring in animals per se. I might try to figure out different ways to get compost and reusable amendments. Um, not as effective as plant and animal husbandry, but that might be my cup of tea, you know? And, uh, there's no right re reason to force yourself to go the opposite of that. For us, we love animals. We want to regenerate the land as fast as possible. And that made the most sense to be inclusive of, of, of all these different practices at once. Yeah, and that's a really good point. You can have a backyard, and you can create your own oasis. And maybe you're maybe you're working from home or not, but you can you can fit it to your life. And there's a good chance that once you start creating it, and you create it in the right way, it will gain its own momentum. And I think you've mentioned more than once the the solution is baked in. And if you know these simple things to start with, then it just has a momentum of its own and it accelerates. The one thing where um, regenerative agriculture has come out, which is great, you can also overlay nature more. And you've done that in many different ways already here. So after one year, just with your animal husbandry, that's just one part, you're going to see a phenomenal response after year one because you're going to, you're taking large pieces of the land and you're regenerating it. And then you can also take your, your points of where you know you want to do something more intensive, whether it's production gardens or a food forest or where you're holding water. And you marry all those together and it becomes something greater than the parts. Yeah, that's a massive piece that really drew me to you when we first talked. Um, 
I got introduced to you from Jim Gale and we spent 30 minutes on the phone and it was like, done deal, this is our guy, let's get him out here. And then we got to spend three days together where you really just came out and meditated on the land, you slept on the land, you were under the stars each night and really tuned yourself in as you know, older, wiser people would do. Um, that was a, a breath of fresh air to see your, your level of commitment into that practice and then what you were drawing from that was coming through in your dreams. The vision of the spiral, the vision of how our food forest would come together and obviously built off the back of your understanding from having hands in the soil for so long and what you learned from Sepp Holzer. One of the things that I joked about uh, with the team here when, when we talk about hydrological balance and the importance of water and everything we're discussing today is what we're going to be covering uh, and then some. Obviously, we don't get to everything we're going to cover in the three days together in a one hour, hour and a half podcast, but a lot of these topics are going to go be deep, have a deep dive. Hydrological balance and the restoration of water in a landscape. And, you know, we did all this stuff first. Then I started getting into Holzer's work to try to figure out what we had done. You know, was, you had explained it to me and I just wanted to know more. And I read Desert or Paradise first, which is a fantastic book explaining, you know, where the world's headed or what we can do to change it. And then um, permaculture. Second, I, I, the thing that blew me away in permaculture, I remember calling you and telling you this, was like half the fucking book is on water. Chapter two, hydrological balance is 82 pages. It's just over half the 160 page book and it's all on water. And that's how important it is, obviously. Um, we were very blessed to have a few natural ponds already here and, and the ability to tap into that uh, and, and create, you know, we're still working on that. That'll be something that's ever present where we continue to fine tune and make that uh, an important piece of it. It's the most important piece of it. That's why it's literally half the book. Yeah, it's true because um, like this class, you'll be able to take the elements of things like water into your design and you'll know the starting points, but marrying it with that dream, you know, to learn the simple things of dreaming the landscape. You don't have to have huge epiphanies. You can soak in your landscape and what your dream and vision is. And then you bring those together. And water is like a, a backbone as far as the, the life or the blood of the earth. And we think of our blood going from micro vessels to the heart. It's the same with the earth receiving it from the mountaintops to the ridges and all the way down into rivulets and back to the ocean of the heart. So the significance of blood is huge or water. You know, we're breathing in this atmosphere. We take it in and it becomes part of our body, part of our blood. And you can feel that in the landscape as you soak in. You're actually becoming more a part of it and it's giving you more inspiration. And it's a, it's a beautiful feedback loop. And so reading nature uh listening to it and then working with it it's um you're going back to those elements because those are the building blocks and when you start to see that and start to do these practices and you immerse yourself like you have here then you start to see it and it starts to open up and it's not the same everywhere but it is the same elements and you're still looking at harvesting the water, the sunlight, you know. And when you do it in like a perennial landscape or earth forms, then you're doing it on all aspects, north, south, and you're harvesting water and sunlight three-dimensionally. So you start to see that canopy go up. You start to see the nature move in, and that has that trophic cascade. 
That's such a big piece that that really was a uh, one of the draws to me and learning from you was this idea and and it shows in your own farm and the different places that you've been. But when you're creating something of this nature, it's not just a a food forest where now I've got 400 fruit and nut trees and that'll feed my family and generations to come and extras is going to go to the local farmers market and blah blah like it's it's that and it's also increasing the biodiversity of the land it's holding more water in and of itself and it's creating its own microclimate and own ecosystem and the ecosystem that already exists there is now enhanced by having this addition to it right the 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 whole is left greater than when it started and that's such a massive piece because we often think like oh, we're going to tinker we're going to do this big conversation we had when we got this land is 118 acres having seen the biggest little farm knowing they were doing that on 200 acres like if we burnt the whole thing down, minus the houses, we might have a hundred acres to work with. That's half of what they were doing, you know? And, and ultimately that wasn't the goal. And in listening to the land, it wasn't, it wasn't my desire to, to ruin so much to recreate, right? How do we work with what we have to enhance what's already here and then still have enough for us? And then actually flowed well into our story of wanting to, to create something that was more feasible for people with any size land, right? It's like, oh, sure, you got 100 people right now listening. You got 118 acres. I have one. I have a tenth of an acre in Austin, right? Um, what can I do on a tenth of an acre? What can I do on, on my three acres in, in Spicewood? A lot. You can do a shit ton. Like our, our 400 fruit and nut trees, that whole spiral uh, food forest is done on under four acres. And that was done on purpose that way to show you what you can accomplish and 36 hens roam through there. We've got emus, we've got donkeys. We have a nice uh, contribution of the animals keeping the insects down and shitting everywhere and making it viable. That just perpetuates itself alongside with you know any trees that we want to take out to thin out and open up the savanna and open up uh, the prairie, rather. That gets sent through the wood chipper, and we have these perfect little cubes now. It's a badass wood chipper that runs on the back of the tractor and just... I mean, I don't know if they brought you out there to show you what it looks like. It's really a mobile good. wood chipper with that tractor. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And it just puts these, the tiniest, like almost like wood pellets, right? That just go right back in and feed the soil. So there's, there's little things like that where you're like, yeah, man, you can do a lot with very little space. And maybe if you didn't have as big of a space, you wouldn't be running the amount of animals that we have, but you could for damn sure still figure out which animals are you going to have, which are going to have the greatest impact, which are going to lead the least amount, least amount of inputs. And all that, that starts to flow in, in what you've taught us and what we're creating here. Yeah, like you said, the size is scalable. So whatever you have, I know there's a family in California with a tenth of an acre in town. And last I heard, they were producing 30,000 pounds of food a year. Damn. And they had different businesses on it. They had, I think it was goats and ducks and chickens and just growing vertically in a tenth of an acre. And so you can do it's it like more. like 10 stories high. Like how vertical is it to get that kind of production? That's pretty insane. Yeah. And it's just growing more vertically things that would be more vertical because they were limited <laughs> by space. Mm -hmm. But then you're also creating that canopy, which cools down the earth, which holds the water more. Yeah. And it creates different microclimates. There's different things, you know, like that's one of the things I, I remember um, talking to Shervine and, you know, his cousin, David Avocado Wolf about their permaculture farm out in Kauai. And how, you know, he, things are planted, you know, what seems like random, but that's because they, there are vertical systems in place. And cacao and coffee and different things like to be in the shade. Certain shade-grown elements want that. So you've got those really partnered next to these bigger trees within their canopy. That makes a lot of sense to me. 
you know, and it's, it's a, it's a cool way to stack on top of something where you would think you have very little. Now you can create even more use and harmony between these different plant relationships. Yeah. Some of these things are, are very simple. It's like you're mimicking nature, but then you can put everything together and it outperforms nature and then it draws in nature, especially when you're holding that water because that water is life. It's not just for the soil. It's for all living creatures, pollinators, uh, what you guys have with the, the axis deer and the other deer and the sheep, you're getting the diversity of different manures, like with the cows and everything. And to put that together in a system wisely, to a certain degree, you could walk away when your water management is set up because you already, nature's going to fill in that gap. Your trees are going to be getting natural irrigation as they grow up because the leaves are falling and you get into these woody areas where it's more fungal and then you have the different soils there you have the different soils in like the prairie and so when you start to read that and bring all that together you it opens up your practice and it's it's the very foundational stuff you want to start with that water that allows you to see what's what's happening on the larger landscape. Yeah, and just to, just I mean, even like the, the tiniest thing. I remember when we were going for one of our walk, we saw a turtle, and this was late February, early March, way away from any pond. You know, we've got a few of them here already, but like he was, I don't know if he was trekking to, or she was trekking to lay some eggs or something, but it was kind of out in the middle of nowhere on our walk. And that's exactly the thing that you were speaking to when, as you started to create these different habitats within your own farm. That started to draw in all different types of species of plant, all different types of species of animal and bird. And, and it's, a, it's a visceral thing when you're like, shit, where, where'd this be? You look up the bird and it's like, that's a fucking bird from like a whole different continent. It's of something that's never been around here before, right? And it's drawn. There's something that's drawing it towards us because it recognizes a, a certain attunement, a certain energetic field where it, know, it knows this is a home. It's a potential home for it. Right. There's that connection in nature where you create the habitat and nature fills it in. And it's, it's a natural process you can see happening. And when I first hand dug my first pond, the next day I had a turtle come cruising in and frogs and there's no nearby water source. And it was just like, oh my, that was the epiphany right there of like, oh, it will automatically start to fill in. And... And if you are planting out wild rice and maybe you want to eat duck, you already have the rice going where you can, you can then say, well, are we having duck tonight or are we having lamb? You know, you have these options of food security that's built on and you have a, a diversity of things you can draw on, which is huge. That's part of the resilience. Yeah. Yeah. The diversity is resilience and not just a, you know, in some new age woke kind of way, but it truly is. It's, it's one of the things that allows for things to do really well here. One of our, for, we've learned many lessons, you know, in, in the first year and have had fucking many hiccups from 13 sheep getting killed on two different nights from coyotes, not being, being watched, um, different things like that, that are, it's as real as it gets, you know, consequences are, are devastating. And, um, we've had a lot of empress trees, which we absolutely love, you know, and it's something that you turned us on to. And they're spread out and then there's some more empress trees that are kind of within the food forest and some of the other trees and all the one, all the empress trees that were 
uh, you know, in the sea of other trees did just fine. And then a lot of the empress trees that were kind of out on their lonesome did not do as well, right? So it's like, it's an interesting thing. And you put a human on an island versus in a community, it's a different setting, right? And there is strength in numbers, there is strength in diversity. Uh, but we could witness that in real time here. You're like, oh shit, is it is a difference in the soil? Is it probably because it's not next to any other trees. So it can get singled out, you know? Yeah, and those are the important lessons. You know, there's no failures because uh, like Sep would say, you want the strong to survive. And if something doesn't make it, you don't want to baby it. But it's, a, it's something to learn from. And so you gain that knowledge and that starts to expand. And then you'd be like, well, those didn't make it. Those did. That's that response loop. Sometimes you're seeing a response loop within a day um, or a season. But that response and that knowledge that you start to gain builds. And that's where being the practitioner of the basic elements is what we'll be doing in that class. And you go through how you can systematically build that. Uh, there's a scale of impermanence, but I'm also overlaying SEP stuff with biodynamics, biochar, and all these things where I've had positive results from that can be applied to any landscape or backyard. That's a big one. Um, a lot of people who kind of run these cookie cutter companies about, about, you know, for the right reasons, you know, like food security and, and understanding kind of the, the, the nature of what's happening in the world right now, which I can at least bullet point for people. Over 20 food and meat processing plants have gone up in flames in the last 18 months. Over 20 in North America. Uh, what they'll usually say in the tagline, because it's not well covered by the media, is all previous, <laughs> all previous fires at a location like this were, were labeled arson, right? They were, always, it was, they were always set on fire. It wasn't a fucking accident. And no one's drawing the conclusion that, that there is something fucking burning down our meat and food processing places. It's happened in Texas. It's happened all the way up in Canada, down in Mexico, all over North America. These things are gone up in flames and likely by design. And I don't, you know, you could read into that, whatever you want to read into that. I don't know the fucking answer. I'd be lying if I said I did, but it is curious, right? We got the egg shortage. We got a lot of things, you know, and meanwhile, Bill Gates owns the most farmland and is creating fucking soy eggs or whatever cholesterol free nonsense he wants to create, which will not even match a quarter of the power and majesty of nature's egg. Right, and an egg from a duck, a chicken, a quail—you name it. It's still the way nature wrapped it. Right, it's perfect, and it's in its presentation and what it offers us. Um, so, but just seeing these things kind of start to unfold, you know, with the egg issues and different things like that, um, we know that a plan from World Economic Forum is to get people to eat crickets and bugs and to come off meat, as if that's going to somehow change the carbon output from vehicles and, and redirect, you know, the, the earth setting itself on fire. That's a whole other podcast that we could fucking rabbit hole on. Um, but even if we are climate minded and we want to make sure that we do our part, regenerative agriculture does the part, right? By regenerating the soil, that sequesters carbon. This has been proven many times over. The Soil Will Save Us, excellent book. I'll link to that in the show notes. Sacred Cow documentary and book. Diane Rogers, Rob Wolf. Rob Wolf's been on the podcast many times. It all documents this. It's not, and, and whatever people in power would fucking understand that if they just look at actual science and understand how the earth works. So to me, even though I don't believe there's some evil guy twisting his mustache at the top, it would seem that there's a plan to kind of move people away from these things. And maybe that's to consolidate power. Maybe it's for a one world government. Who knows? Um, but it's not a plan that's for, with our best interest in mind. 
right? And, and we're already starting to see the trickle-down effect of what that actually means in the real world. What it actually means is you might not be able to get good quality eggs unless you go to your farmer's market or your friend who grows chickens, right, who has their own supply. Um, chicken prices, maybe $30 a fucking pound for chicken breast within the next 10 years, right? We may come to these points in time where it's like, man, the game changed. Why didn't I do something about it? And it's not to say that all of us, you know, light the fire under your ass like it did for me to start my own food production, but at least to have a hand in it, you know, to make your way out, you know, go to the farmer's markets and see who's doing it the best and be like, dude, I'd love to come out and see your farm, volunteer, do whatever I can. We got lots of people volunteer here just to get their hands dirty and to see how it's done. And then educational courses like the one we're running, take it a step further where now if you are stuck in a suburb, like, like uh, my wife and I are in a suburb house right now on a 10th of an acre. I'm getting all sorts of ideas about what to do with that backyard, right? Like how can I get the most out of this tiny little footprint and not waste water on a fucking lawn, which is, you know, another environmental issue. If we want to be serious about it, like lawns are are fucking joke, dude. Uh, so, so that, that there, there's many ways in which we can start And this, you know, for, for the long part, as I talk about some of the things that may be considered dark and this isn't new information, like Sepp Holzer in permaculture talks about this. He wrote, you know, a book. 12, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, has some of his books. And he's talking about the, the, the policyholders in the EU, what they're creating will lead to massive food shortages and, and, and eventually, uh, what's the word? What's the word? Famine. Eventually famine. Right? I mean, that's what he's, he's showing. It's like if things continue at the rate that they're headed towards with the, just policy alone, this is what it looks like downstream. Uh, my encouragement to everybody is don't wait till it gets that far, right? Have your ducks in a row. It helps me as a dad to sleep better at night, knowing that I've done whatever I possibly can to prepare. And in doing so, even if the world ends up being a fucking really cool walk in the park, a technological utopia, I've still created amazing food. I've still healed the soil. I've still done it on whatever pocket, whatever, however size, small or large my canvas is to paint on. I've made the most out of that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting that when you prepare for like seeing these systems and how they're going, is that when you prepare for that, you can create your own paradise. And what looks like total destruction in the outer world, when you look at financially, educationally, educationally, environmentally, yeah, and you can see where you can read nature where. What happens with an earthquake? Well, there's an epicenter, and then other things happen out from it. And we didn't see that in Turkey. There wasn't an epicenter. The second one was bigger. They flew ambassadors from 10 different countries out 24 hours before. And because they weren't <laughs> playing the game. Yeah. Um, but I see the total destruction as the opportunity for creation and for the impetus of people to see what's going on in their world. Because we see what's being revealed now is... Uh, there are different things at play. Dr. Andrew Hoff, who uh, studied under the best of biosecurity for our country, went through and they systematically mapped it out and what it would look like and how they'd have to protect everything. Well, uh, both copies of his work got stolen. And he said what he sees happening, because the propane creating the fertilizers, and the different systems that are being taken out on different levels, he said there is a strong correlation that is happening right now 
that it's moving in that direction. And maybe the outcome is that we're recreating this system. Um, because what looks like total destruction, even if we're doing earthworks, it'll look like total destruction, but the result on the other side, when you see what comes out, could be something greater than before it happened. And it wouldn't have happened if it didn't, if it didn't uh, transform. Yeah, and push didn't come to shove. Sep actually saw the U.S. as the place where things would happen. And when we did our trip overseas, he largely focused on the U.S. has to push back on the bureaucrats because, in my view, I've been all over the world, and you're not the most free country on your land. And that the U.S. was the leader, the first place where they gave the rights and the freedoms and the creation of the people, the powers back to the people. And it wasn't from government, king, and emperor. It was given, these rights are given to you from God. And that's been slowly taken away. Whether you say, yeah, the U.S. is a captured operation, look at all these systems, it's being destroyed. But in a way, now that gives a chance for recreating it. And the more people that wake up to that, it's happening already. You can't unsee it after you've seen it. Yeah, this, uh, I had Michael Mead on the podcast, who's just phenomenal and um, incredibly poetic, author of, I think, over 20 different books. And one of the books that really resonated with me and why, why I wanted to have him on was a book he wrote in 2012 called Why the World Doesn't End. You know, and, and it's this cracked open cosmic egg as the sunset. And I was, I was like, somebody gave me this right as I was fucking in holy shit mode, uh, red pill and everything in 2020 and 2021. And I read it and he talked about, you know, the, the mythology of this is that the world on some level, if you think of a yin-yang symbol spinning, the world on some level is always under some level of destruction. And that's always freeing up and clearing more space for a new creation, new shift. So it's always destroying itself and always recreating itself. We've, we're both familiar with the fourth turning. So these cycles come like spring, summer, fall, and winter. They're about 20 years apiece. And right now, you know, they predicted this in the 1990s. That in 2005, give or take three years, we would start our winter. That's going to last 20, 21 years. 2007 happens, financial, 2008, housing, and bang, we're in it. And we're in it until 2028, give or take a couple years, right? So really understanding that, it's a good idea. It's a really good idea to at least know where your food comes from, right? And to, to, to build one-on-one -on -one relationships where you can, if I can text my milk lady, who's 90, you know, 90 minutes away, it's a hike, but I can go pick up raw milk from her from A2 Jersey cows in bulk and, and have it good for two weeks, right? I can make a quick trip out there and grab what I need, uh, the best cheeses, the best milk, and it's all fucking affordable because I'm going direct. So there's, there's little things like that where I, I think, like, and this is the way we receive community. I had a great conversation with Daniel Griffith about this. We know that the system, the cracks in the systems are too big to not notice, right? We, we know this from finance. We know this from a whole bunch of things. Medicine. Um, does the whole thing collapse and then need to be start, you know, birthed from, from the beginning at that point? Or do we already have some parallel systems that are going in place that can replace that, that can replace the system as it smashes? And that's what we're working on. That's what we're working on with our food, our education. That's what we're working on with our health. So we're working on a lot of things here. So I think it's really cool that this is such a cornerstone piece of the conversation as it should be. Water and food, you know, you, you, can, you can't go very long without it. I mean, air might be the only thing that takes a higher priority 
than water and food when we talk about these things. Um, and Sepp knew exactly what fucking time it was. He wasn't a conspiracy theorist. He wasn't beating the drum on anything crazy. He was just saying that when you attend these, these summits, when you, when you talk to politicians, when you see the legislature and what they're putting into pass as law, it's, it's fucking disturbing. There was two times during the Obama administration, each term, they tried to make it illegal to grow your own food in the United States of America. That is bizarro world. I don't want to live in a world where I'm not allowed to grow my own food. That's just fucking crazy. Even when I was a California gardener, I wanted to grow my own food. Nothing was better than having my own plums, my own avocados, my own oranges. You know, like it's a big deal. So, and, and that, of course, is so big agriculture can now control what goes into your body and profit 100% of that, right? There's no profit if you have your own food. So we've rabbit-holed a little bit of that. But uh, again, circling back to the light side of things, we have the power. We have the power. And what Sep proved was that you could grow anywhere. That's the beauty of Desert of Paradise was he went into the Saharan Desert. He went to these places, you know, and even, even uh, what's the name of his spot in uh, Austria? The Krometerhof. The Krometerhof, yeah. he gave to his son, and then he just started the Holzerhof. Cool. Yeah, talk about what he's grown in these places. Talk about what he was able to accomplish there because a lot of people will say, well, grow zones change things. And yes, that's true. Yeah, you got to lean into that initially. But over time... It doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, he is a master of microclimates and reading nature like no one else. And to take that farm and suddenly have rare birds, he's keeping python because that was one of his fears. So he's like, I'm going to bring a python and it's going to protect the greenhouse. Uh, American buffalo, water buffalo, uh, the list goes on and on over... 30 Lemon different trees kinds of, outside at 6,000 feet elevation. Yeah, banana trees. So he'll have Arctic plants next to tropical in Austria. And yeah, over 30 different kinds of fish, over 30 different kinds of mushroom, 70 ponds, 70 some on the Krometer Hof. And it's just that his epiphany with water was unbelievable. And it's so pivotal. Um, and when you practice it yourself, you realize he's not gifted. He just he just communed with nature and worked with it, got the response. And then out of decades of all that work, he's like, and here it is. There's the masterpiece. And yeah, people in the U.S. Yeah, people here weren't ready for that. The permaculture world didn't see Sepp Holzer till not long ago. His first U.S. installation was 2012. And for a lot of those people there, anyone that had him on their radar was there. We had like a hundred people and the epiphanies were clicking long beyond the class time. It was just as rich because all these passionate people and really experienced people came together and we had conversations into the moonlight as we're walking around these new water features landscape. And if you haven't walked and experienced one of these systems, you, it's hard to imagine, but you're starting from the premise of what is paradise or what is your dream. And you think of water, you think of flowers, you think of the birds, the bees, animals, and you're bringing it together in a pretty simple way. Um, but it's just not practiced. And we can take what ancient cultures did and took generations to do. Now we can do in days. And so suddenly the solutions, the quick solutions are at our fingertips along with things, the, the 
appropriate technology of setting up the landscape with heavy equipment or the, the light electrical fencing where you can just move your paddocks. It's all, it's kind of baked into the cake. Yeah, the super important, you know, the, the ability there. I remember first diving into SEP's work and you had already explained this to me, but how a lot of people in the permaculture game were like, you know, if it can't be done with hand tools, don't do it. And he's like, fuck all that. You can't fix what we've done to the earth with a spade. Utilize the best of modern technology to aid in that, at least in the setting up of everything, and then watch it take off from there, right? And I love that. Um, we've done a lot of that. We, we learned about this uh, mobile, this m- mobile moving uh, of uh, fences from Dion, where we got our, he's a South African rancher, where we got our cattle from. And we'll, we'll talk about more of those choices and the why um, in our education, but just a brilliant guy, one of the best ranchers in the world and understood he lives in south texas what would be the most harmoniously tuned to this land and he selected these guys from south spain and moving this like unless you want to have permanent fence which costs a lot of fucking money just for our just for our high fence was 150 grand you know just to have the high fence set up so the deer can't leave um but interiorly you're you're if you got fence all the time that that's aesthetically not pleasing to me it doesn't allow for these beautiful walks where you can journey wherever even if they're not turned on You've still got something in your way. You got to hop, you know, electrical wire to get around. I wanted as minimum as possible where we could set up something. The boys could could get the cattle moved, and they, the next paddock would be ready for them, and then they could move that, and they'd have the next two paddocks ready for them, right? Three paddocks at once, uh, and it'd take up a smaller footprint, right? So, really cool things like that. Now we can systematically rotational graze as herds used to be through predator prey. All the herd animals used to get shoulder to shoulder. They used to buckle up and the stragglers were the ones that got fucking eaten, right? They didn't exist anymore. So through that, that's where the, the greatest amount of animal impact can take place on the soil because now they're huddled together. If it's a flock of sheep and a herd of cattle like we have, a flirt as Daniel calls it, now we got the mix of the microbiome of the poop and the pee that's going back in, but still the power of the hoof of the cow stomping it back in and creating these little divots in pockets where even if they're not stepping in their own poop and pee, they're creating little sponges, right? Where the water can hold a little differently and slow things down. And as they're eating some of the different haze that we're feeding them, they're eating the seeds, the ruminants not hurting the seeds. When they shit that out, they've effectively planted next year's grass, right? And it just comes back thicker and thicker and thicker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll see a dramatic increase with that. Um, animals in the land is really important for these larger landscapes, because you're going to see each paddock, especially, like I said, next year, you're going to see all that ramp up. And then as that soil becomes more living, it has a greater capacity to hold the water, which in turn cycles and becomes more life. It's very possible. And I think a lot of people feel like, I'll never figure this out. But it's really just knowing these basic elements, bringing them together, and realizing you can create your own healing food medicine and whatever mushrooms if you want mushrooms the potential or what's possible i don't think people know and that's that's i love how you're bringing all that here so i said i see this as a mecca because the demand or the wanting to know this and feeling like you can't tap in may seem overwhelming but like this three-day class will give you the basic pieces to develop your farm your dream and then you create your income streams. And it can be things where you bring in people for education. It can be many things. So you diversify all your income flows. And then 
the diversity, whether it's in food or income streams, it may be up. Like, let's say you have a huge flush of mushrooms and then you're preserving those or you're selling them like Sep. Sep was the, he was known as in the 80s and on until Chernobyl as the Paul Stamets of Europe. So he was, he was growing them, but you know how fast mushrooms go through organic matter. He was taking the mycelium into five gallon buckets. He'll do a thousand of those and sell them. And then the next year he might do something totally different. <laughs> he was a master of cyanide philanide, right? And one of the, the, the principles that I love drawing from him was, you know, talk to your local restaurants, talk to people. And we were doing right when you were in town, eating out, you know, and then Lockhart finding all the cool places to go, uh, all the cool places to go and, and, and really having deeper conversations with their chefs, seeing what they wanted. What would you pay a high dollar amount for? Oh, if you could get us blue lotus, if you could get us crawfish, if you could get us, you know, X, Y, and Z and have it right here, locally grown in town, like that's a selling point for a lot of really high-end restaurants. And then it's not, you know, you're caught up in the how many potatoes can I grow each year game, right? Get out of that game. That's not the game. I mean, grow them if you want them, but don't, <laughs> you wouldn't use a land this small to, to try to emphasize one crop. That's not smart. But I love that Sep was really thinking to that, like, where is the need? What is the thing that I can do? on the spot that I can do it in and how can I provide that for people that's going to have some really good payback. Right. And it's beyond organic because the way you're doing it, you're creating a higher quality and you're not going for that production. And so suddenly your food becomes more nutrient dense. It's mineralized. A lot of the things we don't see in the food that we're taking in and some which aren't even foods. He would market that it's kind of beyond organic. He wasn't doing biodynamics, but biodynamics brings that up another level. So you're bringing in all these things, and he would get very high prices because he has high quality. Over the production, even though he had plenty of production, you have that high quality. And so one of his models, which is brilliant, besides like the education piece, or even people that would stay in one of his 12 uh, little chateaus on the land, they would either rent it out or they would be helping develop the farm and learning at the same time. Um, people would come and harvest for him. So suddenly he's not having to harvest because people are coming on a certain day. They're picking whatever they want and then they pay for it and they leave and he's not even having to bring it to market. The people would come, even companies would come and pick his special pears for schnapps and schnapps is another world there. It's like, <laughs> this is schnapps. Oh, um, but they would come and pick it and pay a premium price. And so he, he kind of broke the mold on that model of what's possible because nobody around him was doing what he did. And if they did, he would just change what he did. He says, if your neighbor starts doing what you're doing, you can do something totally different, whether it's <laughs> animals, plants, or anything else. And that's one of the strengths, especially when you're, you're doing something nobody else is doing and the word of mouth starts to spread, and it's usually like wildfire because you're not doing what everyone else is doing. And yeah, even a- fish, he would, with the Holter monk, he'd lower the monk, harvest the fish. They would go in aquariums that the restaurant would pull up with their aquariums, and they'd bring live fish to the restaurant. So the people in the restaurant are seeing these aquariums with the fish, and they're also bringing the fish on the plates with the gourmet meal. And... Yeah, it's beautiful. And you're already, you're well sank into your community. Yeah, that's one of the things I wanted to bring up was how beautiful that is. I think he dives into it in permaculture, but this idea that 
you're inviting people out to your land. They're going to pick their own food. They're going to, you know, there's a scale at the end of it with a register at the end of their walk. You, you know, it's all one way as they snake their way through this, uh, this beautiful market garden that you've set up for them. And kids love that shit too. It's like literally like, oh, I get to pull potatoes. I get to pull carrots. I get to see exactly where my food's coming from and we'll rinse it later. But we're just going to have this, the dirt and the soil of the land that we're taking it from. And it's, it's in the community. It's right down the street. And we get to be a part of that, the harvest, you know, that's a, that's a really cool feeling. And, and it also saves the farmer a great deal of work and allows more community building to take place because now people have a vested, vested interest in seeing you succeed because they're a part of your process. They're a part of your land. Yeah. Like a community of plants. It's a community of people. You see, like there's a lot of relations where you can see the earth body relating to our body, not just water. And you can see... Like, I'll meet people and I'll be like, that, like, Sep, I'd be like, he's kind of like a wild rose. He's, he's giving this fragrance and you're just like, oh my gosh. And then he also has a personality that you would think of him as like a thorny rose. Like a, he's like very direct, like, oh no. And, uh, and he's talking about the EU for sure. He's got thorns as he should. <laughs> yeah. And he battled that for decades and now the government works with him. So, you know, he's definitely a, uh, a pioneer in many ways. Well, let's talk, I mean, we've spent a, a great deal of time talking about SEP, as we should, you know, if we think of the Mount Rushmore of people that have taken the best of what was understood and then made it their own and, and really brought uh, this movement of, of food on, not just food for the sake of food, but food for all the things, right? Like as we create this food for ourselves, we're creating better food for everything around it, for the birds, for the soil, for the microorganisms. And it, and, it, and it ripples out. It ripples out in all directions. He's on the Mount Rushmore for that, in my opinion. Uh, you'd have to say Steiner was, who wasn't really known for it until late in his career when he, you know, he had this following of many farmers that were into him from his days in theos theosophy and then to anthroposophy as he created it. And they knew that this would apply somehow to their farming techniques. And these were all organic farmers and regenerative farmers and those, and the, you know, predating those words. That's what they were doing. But they also understood Steiner's medicine applied specifically to what they were doing and, and demanded it from him until, excuse me, late in his life, um, he was able to create this entire field that's been used for the last hundred years called biodynamics. Yeah. And, and it's beautiful how you're bringing a lot of the Mount Rushmore here so that, you know, foundationally you can come, folks can come here and learn and they can take the best to the best. And that's what's beautiful because it's going to open a lot of people's eyes. You get results right away. So you can see, see what's possible by walking the system. And then when it's explained to you, you can have more epiphanies for your land or your situation or what you might want to do, um, even just looking for land. And we'll go through that in the class of when you assess what kind of property you want, well, what are your strengths? What's your vision or your dream? And then you might be like, actually, that swamp has a lot of, that's probably the lowest priced land because it has that swamp on it. But then you look at the swamp and you're like, that has super nutrient dense. It also can become a water feature. You can put fish, other aquaculture, edible plants, because aquaculture typically outperforms terrestrial by three to four times and takes less maintenance. You just design it. And that's what we'll go through in our water features. You have deep zones, you have shallower zones for spawning, 
but that temperature regulation can happen. The spawning you're putting in, whether it's stumps, logs, and sticks, it's getaways for the little spawns so they can get away. They can they can start to become more resilient because they're like, I don't want to get eaten. <laughs> and so it strengthens that. There's that tension in nature where um, the predator and prey, actually they strengthen both. And you set up that system so you're creating that. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And I, I've, I'm still, you know, I'd, I'd be... Again, I'm a rookie in all these things and then quite green, you know, in every sense of that word. But um, it has been amazing, you know, getting to, to hang with you and learn from you. And that is one of the first things I was thinking was like, we got to get this out. You know, people need to know who Chad is. Let's jump on the podcast. And in addition to that, knowing we were, you know, just coming from fit for service and things like that, wanting to share everything and also seeing the draws. A lot of people in fit for service were like, hey, when, when's that thing happening with you and Chad? When's the... What'd you guys learn when you went to Virginia? You know, all these people are clued in on it. Um, it's it's a it's been a real pleasure of mine to be able to work with you side by side, and I'm really excited for this first run together, where we get to sit and really dive deeply into everything that we've done here and how it's done in different places, and and uh, the educational piece that is going to take place for years to come. I think is just an incredible an incredible thing. One of the one of the ideas that you had was in certifying people. So you, you take these classes, whether it's a three-day or a five-day or a one-day, and that checks off a credit hour on, on your certification. I think that's a really important piece because you know, you're know you not going to teach everything you know in three days. I mean, you're going to give them fucking a lot more than people can handle. You're going to give a lot in those three days, uh, and everyone's going to leave satisfied. But at the same time, it's not your entire wealth of knowledge, just as the same if somebody comes to a fit-for-service event and they get the best of me. It's not going to be the entire wealth of my knowledge. But this yeah. is a good, it's a cool thing. I like this. It's the bigger community, um, which I see being connected, and I've had this vision for it where you're gaining a certification, but it's not just like a PDC, which I never got, and I understand a lot of that in there. But I think with this new practitioner certification, you can steer that in whatever direction you want to go, and then your experience comes out in your certification like you'd see at a university like you're good at, let's say it's earthworks or with animals, and you start to gain and create your own certification. So it can be tailor-made to you, but you have these badges like uh, like in Boy Scouts. So you have a certification, and here's how it's defined. And I see this farm as like a nexus. You're kind of in the belly button of Texas. If you look at North and South America, and now these other farms we see developing, it becomes... Uh, a larger community that can then be digitally woven together where you see the different uh, the different farms, what they look like, what they do, what they might be looking for, what they offer uh, for different income streams to give other people ideas or you're like, we need a stonemason. Well, you look into that network and it's like, oh, here's a stonemason and he knows this and he knows that. And so you're connected in there you could message each other and maybe there's, you're like, we want to know this, this, and this, or here's what we need. And these people pop up and you can look at it. And likewise, that person can say, I want to do this. Who else out there has a piece of land that's doing this? So it's going to bring that community uh, together quicker and more with more wisdom and insight. It's, I see it coming and I'm, I'm only one person, but, uh, yeah, that, that foundation's already starting. And with this certification and everything else you're doing here, 
uh, creating that network of farms is already happening. And so tying that all together is, I see that as one of the forward escapes. Yeah, absolutely, brother. And Parallel, something more amazing. Parallel system that, that improves upon on all aspects. Yeah, brother. Well, I'm stoked. Uh, we'll have you back out here March 31st through April 2nd. It's going to be awesome. Um, I will link in the show notes where you can find that right now. But if you wanted to check over, you, your website is? Kingdomcome.earth. Kingdomcome.earth. We'll link there. Uh, from your website, we'll have the link to ours. It's going to be Gardeners of Eden, but it, I'm not sure that it's up yet. By the time this podcast runs, it will be up before our event starts. And I'll, I'll send our Instagram handle as well for that. I think it's gar- the Gardeners of Eden or Gardeners of Eden on Instagram. And from the Instagram, you can purchase tickets to that. So I know it's complicated in the first run, but this is our first run, and we want the website to be fucking nice, not just minimum viable product. So that's taking a bit more time, and, and that's okay. We're still going to get you all out here. Uh, we're capping it at 40 people, so this thing should sell out quickly. And we just want to make sure that we have enough hands on decks so that everyone gets everything they've come for and then some. And we'll be doing this multiple times a year. So if you don't make it up for this one, just trust that, that you, you circle back to the Instagram page or our website. There's going to be many offerings throughout the year, and we're, we're very excited to be doing this. It's going to be exciting. Hell yeah, brother. Thanks, It already Jeff. is. <laughs> <laughs>